part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. I've shared with many of you before that uh, you know my favorite verse is Romans 5, 8. My favorite chapter of the Bible is Romans 8. My favorite passage happens to be this, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It's quite the challenge. But I want to start this morning off with a word of confession. I think it's important to confess. And uh, it is one of those things that uh, if you decide not to have me as your pastor afterwards, I completely understand. But I like monster movies. I really do, you know, or villain movies or something. And one of the biggest frustrations that I have in monster movies or villain movies is, you know, and they film this all the time, where, you know, they've been, the, the villain, the monster, whether it's a person or a actual monster, is kind of chasing uh, the, the people in the movie. And finally, by the end of the movie, you know, they, they kind of go over there and they try to kill the monster or the villain and, but they don't really kind of fatally kill. You know, it's just kind of like they knock him out with a vase or something. And then they start to hug. Maybe it's a husband and wife or maybe it's a boyfriend and girlfriend. And they start to hug. And in your mind, you're going, kill the villain. Kill the monster. Because he's going to come back. And nine times out of ten, what happens? He comes back and kind of leaves, you know, with the ending of the movie where it's just not complete. Well, I say that this morning because here this whole series is about how you and I have been called by God to die. This is you know, Luke 9.23. It's kind of what we've been basing everything on. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And we've been trying to say, okay, what does that really look like in real life? And we've been talking about all kinds of different things out of that. Let me break it down just in review to three things. Number one, we see the call. And the call is three different things in that verse. He says, deny yourselves. That's hard enough because we don't like surrender. We've been covering that. Take up your cross. We've already talked about that a little bit. We're going to talk about that more today. The cross always ended in death. It was not for behavior modification. It wasn't a slap on the wrist. It ended in death. So something here has to die. And we're going to talk about three things this morning, if we're going to follow Christ, that really have to die in our life. And the last thing is follow me. But here's the thing. You cannot follow Christ in this call of Christ unless those first two things happen. There's an order there that is purposeful and really practical. So that's the call. Deny yourselves, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The problem, we're not good at surrender. We have a fighting spirit. And a lot of times that serves us well that we do not give up easily. But when in our relationship with God, when we don't surrender and we don't come to a place of really surrendering to Him, it actually works against us instead of for us. So what is the solution? Last couple of weeks we've been looking about how we have to redefine surrender in our mind. But we want to do that biblically. We don't want to just kind of redefine it on our own purposes. And so we've been looking at things within the Word of God surrounding this invitation of God, this or really this command of, of Christ. And we found out the first week that you cannot redefine surrender until you properly define who Christ is. We saw that in the passage where Jesus asked the disciples, Peter responds, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter responded, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Until we come to that place in our lives, there is not going to be a desire for surrender. Because we'll never see the proper authority that Christ has. We'll never see the majesty that Christ has. And so there's always going to be this reserve. We're going to be like that villain and that monster in those monster movies that comes back from the dead. How many times had your old ways, your old flesh, the old nature, wanted to rear its ugly head? You thought you had slayed it, but all you did, you knocked it over the head with the vase. And so you made a temporary behavioral adjustment, but you didn't kill the old man. And that's when Paul says, no, you got to kill this villain. <laughs> you know, if not, he's going to come back and torment you more. And that's what Romans chapter 7 is all about. Paul's kind of expressing his frustration that this old man just isn't staying in the grave. So the first thing we have to do, who is Christ? The second thing that we began to see last week is that we live in two kingdoms. Remember the... the uh, uh, if you want to see the optical illusions that we used last week and how we looked, and there was one that looked like a rabbit or a duck, depending on how you looked at that, okay? And we said, okay, when you look at that, some people see a rabbit, some people see the duck, and if you kind of train yourself, you can see both in that picture. You look at it one way, there's a duck. Look at it another way, there's a rabbit. But one of the things I tried to establish from that is that you cannot see both at the same time. You can see both quickly as you go back and forth, but you have to change your focus. And one of the truths that I hope that we got last week is that you and I live in two kingdoms simultaneously. We live in an earthly kingdom and we live in a heavenly kingdom. The earthly kingdom very much is uh, physical in nature. It is temporal uh, in nature. The Heavenly kingdom is more spiritual in nature and it's eternal in nature. You and I, as Christians, we live in both of those. And we have to make a choice. Which one are we going to put our eyes on? And aren't you amazed in your own life how fast your eyes go back and forth between those two kingdoms? So that kind of catches us up where we were last week. And it all brings us to this place where we're going, okay, how do I now take up my cross daily? How do I... If, if the cross means death, what inside me needs to die? And this one, I'm not going to give you the finality of that until the very end. Because I want us to go to the scripture, and I want you to see how scripture points to that Christ has exhibited these three things. Then we can make application into our own lives. Because here's one of the problems that we have in humanity, and here's one of the problems that we have in Christianity. My solutions, your solutions of how to live the Christian life, if not based on the word of God, is just kind of, maybe at best, guesses. The only thing that's going to empower us to live the Christian life is the truth of God's word. It's not that we're dumb and that we can't come up with any kind of insight of how to Christian uh, to live the Christian life. But folks, we're going to modify that by this earthly kingdom instead of the heavenly kingdom. The call of Christ is a very, very high call. And our desire, our our kind of orientation is not to lift it up and keep it there. What do we want to do with the high call of Christ? (laughs) Got to bring it down a little bit so it's a little bit more manageable. You have that within you. I have that within me. And so in order to, to, to know what this high call is, let's go to Christ and what Christ did. And then we'll see this is where Christ has set this high call. 
And, and hopefully we won't be so tempted to bring it back down to, well, you know, I think as long as we just try really hard. No. High call. He didn't tell you to try really hard. He said, you follow me. And it comes through death. This whole idea of being crucified for Christ. I mean, what, what kind of slogan is that to start your ministry off with? Come follow me and die. I mean, if that's how you were to be invited to, to a job, come join us at ABC Company and die. I mean, who's going to take that job? And yet this is the, Christ never watered this down. He never said, no, come follow me and life is, will become a, a rose garden filled with flowers and nice feelings. No, he did say that we would have the abundant life and he did say that we would have life everlasting. But he made it very plain from the very beginning. You follow me and it will end in a death to self. What a high call. And, it, and it's not just in this one place where Jesus says it. It is the theme of the New Testament life. Let me give you a couple of examples really quick. Uh, you can just look on the screen or write them down in your notes. But the New Testament is filled with verses that are very much like this. First one, Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. Is he just mincing words? No, he said, I've been crucified in Christ, with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul began to grasp that this high call of Christ was a, die, a death that joined Christ in his crucifixion. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? He's using the symbol of, of baptism. Does baptism save you? No. It's a symbol, though, of hopefully what has happened in your life spiritually. So uh, let me put this top of my water here. So if I'm going to baptize somebody, we have baptism next week, and then we have it uh, the following week. Well, we have several baptisms coming up. And if I baptize somebody, what do I do? I take their body, and I put it down under the water. Let's say that this is the baptismal pool. And then what happens? I bring them back up. And this is the symbol of dying to self and being raised in Christ. Look what Romans says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ were baptized into his death? Did you really die if you were baptized, baptized in a baptismal pool? No. It's a symbol of the spiritual death of self. But now look at verse 7. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You can say a lot of different things when you baptize people. For all these years of my ministry, I've kind of said the same thing. It's what I was taught. And when I take somebody down, buried with Christ in his death, raised to walk in newness of life. That's not the only thing you can say. You can say a lot of different things. I've said that for all these years, and it's from this scripture. This is what we're symbolizing. But how do we take it from being a symbol to being an actual occurrence in the Christian life. What does it mean to take up your cross that ends in death and what exactly has to die? 
Well, to get a scriptural foundation for that and not just some pastoral kind of advice, let's go to the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The first thing that we begin to notice here is in that verse 5, that this is a command, not a suggestion. There's a lot of times that you might suggest to somebody to do something. But then there's other times, if you're a parent here, that, you know, I know the word command seems kind of harsh, and, and that, but, but you're not suggesting to your son or your daughter, oh, do this. You're kind of commanding it. You're saying, no, do this. This is right. And I have this expectation of you. This is not a suggestion of Christ that we would have this mind. It is actually a command. Now, will you allow me to be a word geek for just a second? Okay, because I know I hear different things. Some people, oh, I love when you bring out the Greek. And other people go, I think that's so stupid when you bring out the Greek, you know, because we're not Greek. The only reason we do this is not to try to show off that we're really smart people because if you had, if I had a Greek Bible in front of me right now, I would not be able to read it, okay? I'd be able to pick up some things. I need what's called a transliteration where you took the actual Greek and you turn it into English. But I love the word study because the Greek is so much more expressive in some ways than our English. We're very lazy in our English speak. And so the Greek is very expressive. So let me be a word geek for a second in verse 5 when it says, have this mind. The Greek word there is phroneo, phroneo. And what that means, Paul uses, and I was never good at this in, in school, okay? This was all brand new to me in seminary because I never, you know, present tense and all that kind of stuff. But Paul writes this, and this word, get this, is in the present tense active voice, imperative mood. Does that speak to your heart? And you go, mind now, now I embrace this. No. If you were like I was in school, I'm going, okay, I know what present tense is, but I have no idea of what active voice, and I sure don't get imperative mood. Let me explain that because this is so essential. We're not trying to show that we're really smart people. We're trying to grasp what Paul wrote here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So when he said present tense, this was a call for now and for it to continue. This is to become a lifestyle. When he says, have this mind, it wasn't just have this mind for the moment or for the day. This is to be your mind as an active Christian. What does it mean that he said it in the active voice? It is a personal decision of the will. It's a command But again, let's go back to parenting and children. Just because you give a command, is it always followed by your children? No. So you can give all the commands you want, but there takes a willing spirit in order to follow that. A personal decision, the will. I will keep my elbows off the table or not smack up my food or not put my feet on the table during supper. You know, you can command that all day, and then you can kind of do punitive measures to make sure it doesn't happen again. But it takes a surrender of the will. It takes an active 
choice in your children's mind, okay, I'm not going to put elbows on the table or my feet on the table during settler. I'm not going to do it. He also writes this in the imperative mood. In other words, in this way, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. The reason I bring that out, again, is to show these are strong words. This is not just an invitation from Paul. This is what we would call an exhortation, a command. As a spiritual parent, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, I command you, I exhort you, Christians, to have this mind in yourself. So what is this mind? Why is this so important? Because this call to die, to be crucified with Christ, is not a suggestion. It is a command. You truly can't follow unless you deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Now, this is an aspect, please get this, this is an aspect that in Christianity we mature in, hopefully. But it does take a line-in-the-sand decision. This is not something that you're just going to wake up one morning and go, you know, I just want to deny myself today and, and, and be crucified with Christ. It, it is one of those things, you hear the command of Christ, this high call, and you have to make a decision. You respond to this call of Christ in our lives. So he tells us to have this attitude in Christ. And he begins to describe it. I want you to notice where this starts. Verse 6. Go back to verse 6. And where does it start? It starts in heaven. It starts with what we call the pre-incarnate, uh, pre-incarnate Christ when Christ is still in heaven. Has Christ always existed? Yes. Forever and ever. Okay. He took on human form about 2,000 years ago, but he's always been. And the scripture is very, very plain about that. So this verse 6 starts out in heaven, okay? Verse 7 then begins to talk about the incarnation of Christ, how Christ became human. So we went from heaven to earth, and then by the time we get to verse 8, he's deep in the grave. He's been crucified and buried. Heaven earth under the earth downward plunge in human nature is our orientation to move downward or to move upward isn't i mean if we're just really honest with one another isn't our desire to be thought of highly by others Don't we kind of want, I mean, even in the things of life, don't we want upward mobility instead of downward mobility? I mean, if we're really, really honest with ourselves, that this human nature is not one of descent. It is one of ascent. We really want to get, you know, be thought highly of and get better and better and just people like us and all these different things. So our natural inclination is to climb up, and yet here we're commanded by God in this high call to follow Christ, and he starts in heaven, he goes to earth, and then he's buried in the earth. How do you and I, who have this nature, take on this nature? Do you grasp that? Or are we all together that, I mean, would you agree this morning that this is 
Usually your orientation, when you wake up at 5 or 6 in the morning, your orientation is you kind of want to ascend that day. So how do we do this? Well, let's identify what he did. Three things that Jesus did. First, he emptied himself. Look at verse 6 and 7. He's talking about Christ and having this mind of Christ in verse 5. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, that is, he was God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Now, how did Jesus empty himself? Jesus has always existed. He has always been the full glory of God in that existence. Please understand, Jesus is not a mini-me to God. He's not God in training. Jesus is God. Jesus has always been God. It's a fact that we see throughout the, the, the Testaments. Uh, Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 1.3. He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the what imprint of his nature. The exact, he is God. He's not mini-me. He's not God in training. He's not God put into a test. Jesus is fully God. I mean, if you're a pilot, you, you have to go do fly so many hours, you have to take training in order to earn your wings. To be a lawyer, you have to go to law school and learn all this stuff, and then you have to pass the bar in order to actually get your license to practice that. These are trainings. You're not a lawyer yet. You're training to be a lawyer You're not a pilot yet. You're training to be a pilot. But this is not what Jesus is doing. He's not coming to earth to train to be God. He is God. And what Paul is trying to tell us here, this is what it means that he emptied himself. It was a willful and deliberate descent. He made the decision, I will leave the glory of heaven where every angel, every being that has been created in heaven has their focus on me and they they are uh, praising me 24-7. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a place where every angel, every created being is with all earnestness, with every fiber of their being, praising Jesus, praising God? And that was Jesus. And yet, he emptied himself. He's not forced by God. He's not compelled, because this is just what I have to do in order, if I'm going to go from mini-me God to major God, he is God. And he leaves the glory of heaven where all the attention is on him, and comes to a death and a mission where he knows he will be rejected by vile, sinful man. Can you grasp that? That's what Paul wants us to grasp. Part of this attitude, this mind of Christ, which is ours in Christ Jesus, he is the example. I choose to descend. I choose to go down. And I gain nothing from it. Second thing that we see there is he takes on the form of the servant. Look at the last part of, of verse 7. Who, though being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. 
This means that Jesus deliberately laid aside his rank, privilege, and honor so that he could become the servant. I want to be very clear, though, theologically, he did not lay aside his deity. He is fully God and fully man. But he lays aside all of this rank and privilege and honor. Jesus never stopped being God when he became a man. He was a 100% man, but he was still 100% God. And this was a requirement if he's going to be the sacrificial lamb for all of mankind. Hebrews, again, says it this way, Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, payment for the sins of the people. In other words, please grasp this. Jesus did not become a man and down a cross to fulfill a job description that says you do this and you become a God. He is a God. He's fully God. He came for one purpose, to pay for the sins of mankind that would turn and trust in him. When we begin to grasp the magnitude of that, we begin to understand this. I, I want to say this, and, and please challenge me on anything that I would ever say so that we can back it up scripturally. Jesus, in this descent, does not have personal gain. Well, Bobby, I, I don't know that I agree with that. You know, No. Did he become more God because he did this? Did he become more loving because he did this? Did he become more holy because he did this? He's already the fullness of all those things, folks. Christ gains nothing from this descent. We gain everything. Do you grasp that? He was an unloving God, and then he comes down and he dies for us, and go, oh man, what a loving God. He was already the epitome of a loving God. He was the fullness of that. So what was gained by the death of Christ on the cross? My salvation and the salvation of all of those who put, place their trust in this work. Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I, let me read that again. And you examine, what is Jesus gaining from this? Who's the recipient of any gain? Let me read that again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was already this. Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the attitude that Christ, that, that Paul commands us to have. There has never been, nor will there ever be, anything like the descent of Christ from the heavens to the earth to the grave. And then we come to Philippians 2.8. And the third thing that we see. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul's 
giving a lot of description there. He could have just ended and being found in the human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He doesn't end there. He talks about even death on the cross. Why? Because the death on the cross was very significant for that time area. He's obedient even into death. But this example, this particular death on the cross was one of extreme submission. Why? Because it was the most humiliating form of death and punishment that the Roman government had. They had many means to to, to kill somebody. But the whole purpose of the cross was one of death. It always led to death, but it was always used for the point of humiliation. That's why a Roman citizen could not be crucified. You could be killed. You could be imprisoned. You could, you know, they could take your life, but you could not be crucified under Roman law. Why? Because this was beneath a Roman. This is humiliation. And we save this for criminals and foreigners, what they would talk as foreigners, somebody who's not a Roman citizen. But look again, verse 8, who humbled Christ? He humbled himself. The Roman authorities, the, the Jewish leaders, all these people, they're not humbling Christ. He didn't say, okay, I submit myself to be humbled by you. No, I humble myself by becoming obedient to the point of death. No one forced him. This was all his doing. He humbled himself in leaving heaven and coming to earth as a man. But then he could have died a number of deaths, and yet... Paul brings out, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that it wasn't just a normal death, but it was this most humiliating of death. A death that the Jewish people considered a curse. I mean, you could die a lot of different ways, but don't you die on a cross, because that's a curse. And that brings into mind what Paul wrote to the Galatians. Galatians 3.13, listen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by what? By becoming a curse for us. What was this curse? Dying on the cross. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanging on the tree. This was the Jewish belief. Okay, die, but don't you dare die on the cross. That is the most humiliating form of death. And yet our God, who is fully God, not God under the test, willingly, humbles himself, and becomes obedient to death, even death on the cross. Do you get it? Take take up your cross daily. What does that mean? Let me give you three things that have to die in our life if we're truly going to embrace this and draw that line in the sand. Number one, not grasping to be filled but willing to be emptied. That's what we saw in verse 6 and 7. What is your human nature, let's be honest, to be filled or to be emptied? Every desire I have in my human flesh is to be filled. Filled with admiration, filled with good things and comfort, filled with really good food. Everything in my human flesh that I desire, this orientation that I have, is to be filled And yet this call of Christ, if we take this mind of Christ that Paul describes, it's not grasping to be filled, but willing to be emptied. 
Second thing that we can take from the scripture. Not grasping to be served, but willing to serve. What is your human orientation? What is my human orientation? To serve or to be served? Had a pastor years ago said everybody wants to be called a servant until it's time to serve. Because we like the idea of being a servant, but even that is kind of a self-satisfying thing. Yeah, oh, Bobby, he's such a servant. You know, he's just such a servant. Well, did I go out and serve today? Did I do that in a willing way? You know? So we want the claim that comes with that kind of life, but we don't always want the choices and the actualization of that in our lives. Third thing that has to die in our life, not grasping to be obeyed, but willing to be obedient. That was from verse 8. Don't you want to be obeyed? Parents, spouses, don't you want to be obeyed? If, if you have your own company and you have employees, don't you want to be obeyed? If you have authority of any kind, don't you want to be obeyed? Isn't there this natural inclination? Instead of just being obedient? Do you grasp these three things? Would you admit this morning that these three things live inside your natural orientation? Wanting to be filled, wanting to be served, wanting to be obeyed. And yet, if we are to have the mind of Christ, this attitude, and get in the King James, have this attitude in you, which is yours, which was in Christ Jesus. Here's where he was. Willingly came from heaven to earth, from earth to a grave. He chose descent. This call to die, take up your Christ, take up your cross daily, is a choice of descent. When every fiber of our human flesh wants to ascend. And so today, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, you wake up, here's your, here's my, Bobby's human desire, I promise you, my human desire, ascend. I even want you to think this is a really good sermon. You know, say when you texted last week, hey, I really like that sermon. Yeah, okay, that was a good sermon. I'd be lying if there wasn't a human part of me that says, well, God. Now, hopefully there's the spiritual side that says, good, man, we're grasping God's word. But let's just be honest here, guys. Do we not have this within us? Ascend, ascend, ascend. And yet, here's this, not invitation, but command. Descend, descend, descend. And the only way that we begin to do that, honestly, with any spiritual integrity, is if we believe the promise of God that through death of self, life comes. That when I'm crucified with him, what did the scripture say? I join him in his resurrection. This is our hope. Without that, it's just human doormat. People walk all over you. And I've seen that happen. And people, oh, I'm just going to be the meek, mild. So, And you let people, that's not what Jesus, nobody walked over Jesus. No, willingly he descended. And he invites us to a willingness to descend so that we will have the opportunity to spiritually ascend with him. 
And next week we'll begin to say, okay, well, what does that take? And we're going to look at three things that we have to have this deep down belief. If we're really going to buy this to the place of changing our mind, our attitude, our whole line in the sand, I'm going to live a different way. I purposely descend Monday morning as I go to school. I purposely descend Monday morning in the way that I treat my spouse. I purposely descend Monday morning as I go out into a world. Then we're going to have to have truths that we believe in, that we can place our faith in. We'll look at that next week. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you have helped communicate the beauty of your word. We, Father, I cannot grasp what it would be like to be surrounded by angels and all of creation, to, to be sung of your glory 24-7, Father, if they're just a whole attention. Why would I ever want to leave that to come to a place where I knew there would be mocking and rejection of man? And yet you did. You were not surprised by the rejection. You knew that it would come, and yet you chose to do this. And when you chose death, Christ, you didn't just choose a regular death, but but as we see in your word, even death on a cross, the most humiliating of deaths to demonstrate the true humility that you have. So, Father, today we thank you for the gift of Christ. Christ, we thank you that you chose descent. And and Christ, we understand this morning, this did not make you go from many God to a full God. You are already a full God. Now, Holy Spirit, will you give us this mindset? We can't do this in our flesh. Without the empowerment of, of you, Holy Spirit, in our lives, we will never see that true life comes from a willing death to self. But you will allow us to see that. And I pray that, Father, that you would be active through the whole Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this morning as we come to this place and say, God, will you help me to let this die? I desire to be filled. Will you give me a desire to be emptied? I desire to be served. Will you give me a desire to serve others? I desire to be obeyed. Will you help me to be obedient to the precious word that you've given me? We pray all this in the hope that is Christ and by his example. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.